This week on the podcast, we're joined by Thurston Hillman, the Managing Creative Director for Starfinder. And we talk about Starfinder a ton today. And what the hell is going on with GameStop? All of that and more in this week's episode of the podcast. Roll the intro. Not bad. It was a lot more lively than last week. Yeah, yeah, I'm amped. (laughs) (laughs) Hello and welcome to Next to Nothing, a podcast for gamers on a budget. I am your host, Danny K. With me as always, the wonderful, the beautiful, the Mr. Green Elite Green. How are you doing today? I can't complain. I can complain a little bit, but I can't complain. I'm here. I'm alive. I'm thriving-ish. How you doing, Danny? You know, I'm not doing too bad myself. I mean, I have like some minor complaints, but they're not for here. They're not for here. We're also joined by the spooky and the ugly, the Mendachi. Mendachi, how are you today? Oh, not too shabby, man. On the spooky side of things, I went through and listened to every single episode of Voice from Darkness today. Uh, So if you like Twilight Zone um, or like you miss Coast to Coast or you liked the game Control, I highly recommend it. Super duper good. Otherwise, I'm I'm super amped to be with the guy that's on my right side on this overlay. Yes, our special guest this week, Thurston Thirsty Hillman. Thurston, Hello. For, the, for the folks who have not had the privilege and pleasure of meeting you, who are you? What do you do? And uh, just go on ahead and plug yourself. Oh, oh, okay. Hi, uh, my name's uh, Thurston Hillman, or Thirsty, or on call GM. I, uh, as you said, am the uh, newly appointed, recently appointed, last week appointed, uh, managing creative director for the Starfinder role playing game, which is a tabletop role playing game that is uh, in the science fantasy genre, um, kind of a, a sister game to uh, Pathfinder. Uh, which you may or may not have heard of. I uh, beyond that, I write in the the role playing game sphere. So I've been in- involved with role playing games for like oh gosh over over ten years now in various capacities as like a freelance author working for companies including Paizo Publishing, who I currently work with, and then a bunch of others including like doing freelance work for like companies like Cubicle Seven that do like some of the Warhammer. Um, rpg stuff and then uh on the side of that because i don't have enough going on in my life i uh gm for a show called narrative declaration uh you can find that over at narrativedeclaration.com we do a uh, bi-weekly uh ttrpg stream uh called rock grind which is kind of like a dark souls-esque inspired campaign with a bunch of shitlord players that i love and adore um and uh yeah that's uh that's this is me in a nutshell i'm i'm, I'm glad to be here on, on this year men with fine beards podcast and um uh, you know i look forward to this uh this this good discussion i don't have a beard it's close <laughs> enough it's it's just fuzz <laughs> But thanks for the confidence boost. I really needed that today. There you go. (laughs) I'm not crying. You're crying. I'm I'm not crying either. (laughs) We're both crying. Proud men with beards podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, I'm excited to be here. Yes, thank you. Thank you. Uh, Just a quick note, because I I am uh, watching the upload speed, guys. I do know that the uh, stream is probably going to crap out at certain points tonight. You guys can watch this in completion uh, without any sort of technical issues on YouTube and listen on Spotify. 
and if you are already uh, consuming the show on those platforms, you can uh, find us live usually every Tuesday at 7 p.m. Central Time on twitch.tv slash Danny K. We also have a question of the week. This week, our question is, what's your favorite sci-fi setting? Thirsty, I'm going to put you on the spot. What's your favorite sci-fi setting? I'm contractually obligated now to say Starfinder, but I also really like Warhammer. Like Warhammer is also my jam. I'm not going to lie. Like there's like something like 60 Horus Heresy books and I've read each and every one of them. So like without like the shill of the company I work for, which is Starfinder and you should go, you know, check out the Starfinder setting. Uh, I'm, I'm a Warhammer stan. Excellent. Mendachi, how about you? Man, uh, I really want to say Warhammer, but I have so many <laughs> fond memories uh, with Mass Effect and just being a multitude of different Commander Shepherds and dancing awkwardly on the Citadel and hitting on everything that isn't a human. Um, yeah, I'd, I'd have to go with Mass Effect. Okay, okay, green. Uh, I've been really digging space stuff lately. Um, like... In terms of like movie content, I would definitely say like the the uh Predator franchise. Uh now that Prey is out. Uh I've always digged that like aesthetic of like an alien that is like a hunter that is like coming down and like essentially wrecking house. And then like exp they've expanded on that whole entire like uh science like sci-fi alien premise as the, the franchise has gone on some good, some bad. Um, but yeah, uh, like for games, definitely like space that, that space aesthetic has been really hitting me hard lately, especially with star citizen. Um, so yeah, something, something like that. You surprised me. Cause I was like looking at your t-shirt the whole time and I'm like, <laughs> all right, here we go. Here we go. <laughs> I, I am a slut for star Wars. Okay. Okay. We're not going to very good. be that kind of person right now. <laughs> I fucking love star Wars. Good, good. Does does Fallout count as sci-fi? I would assume. Because that's... Mm. I, eh. Mm. Eh. I mean, it's got robots. Maybe? Canonically, it has aliens. Eh, yes. Thirsty, I'd say you're you, reaching. You call, I'd say you're reaching. Yeah, would you call Shadowrun sci-fi? <laughs> Uh, like there's like a whole cyberpunky genre but there's also right. like post-apocalyptic genre like i don't know genres are all constructs anyways that we make <laughs> up in our minds well, my my favorite sci-fi is actually going to now be pathfinder i don't know <laughs> well if if fallout counts fallout would be my would be my favorite setting if it doesn't i'm gonna say gundam Okay. Like the is there uh, a specific flavor of gun? The um, what is it? The Universal Century is that what it's called? Okay, okay. Yeah, with the not Iron Blooded Orphans, where you just feel like awful about life through I... the entire show, and is and is my favorite, but that that is my favorite gun. <laughs> yeah, that is he, he, every time Gundam comes up, he he always says Iron Blooded Orphans. I always say Attack on Titan because they're the same thing. They oh, they are not Flash no, Gundam. No. Flash Gundam. <laughs> that damn. is a disgusting term. Knock hey, it hey. off. <laughs> oh, I don't have the ability to kick you from this call. That was a smart <laughs> idea. <laughs> Tell me I'm wrong. You're I'm wrong. not wrong. No. 
It is I literally see, Gundam, a Gundam story, just flesh Gundams. Okay, it's the same. That's that's like that's a horrifying way to describe it. Excellent. <laughs> it, it makes you'll have nightmares for the rest of the week. It makes me want to yeah, retch yeah. every time he says it. <laughs> anyways that's our question of the week let us know what you guys think in the live chat you can also let us know in the youtube comments and of course on twitter green how can they reach us on twitter uh, you can always check out at next nothing pc on twitter and then also we have facebook and facebook is next nothing podcast it's a page check it out yeah i think page <laughs> I, I think we've buried the lead long enough I'm going to basically just give the wheel over to Mendachi here, and let's just talk Starfinder. I would he, so love he, to. He has been fangirling for two weeks now. Okay. Oh, giddy. hardcore. You gotta let him take this. <laughs> He's been giddy. Yeah, it all started when I sent Thirsty uh, an email, and I was like, eh, it's shot in the dark. This guy's busy as hell. But, you know, whatever. We'll see. And look at him. There he is, and he's all smiley. What do you know? Thirsty, you have over 45 writing credits and over a dozen that I've stolen from. A painful and torturous yet loving GM and someone I try to emulate or channel at least like a little bit every time I sit down and run a game. You've GM'd Warhammer, Warhammer 40k, Pathfinder 1st Edition, 2nd Edition, Starfinder, and likely many, many more TTRPGs, and I have questions for you. Are you ready? Okay, okay, yes, but the most important game you didn't mention there is mm. Dread. Now, Ooh. the Dread role-playing game is by Ooh. far the best role-playing game ever made, <laughs> and if you're listening to this show, you need to go out and buy the Dread rulebook, and if you're mm. not familiar with what Dread is, all I'm just going to say is that it's, um, it's, it's a Jenga-based role-playing game that doesn't use <laughs> dice. That's what Question. you need in your life. Yeah. I'm, I'm a novice, uh, not even a novice, I would say a newbie to tabletop RPG. Mm -hmm. um are you like dread as in like judge dread okay okay no 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 this is dread <laughs> as in like like terror-esque d-r-e-a-d -E okay yes yes and right. it is it is a game that is meant to emulate and this is like i'm gonna start I'm, I'm not even letting him ask the question i'm just jumping in with a sales pitch for a completely different game but because i think it's it's amazing and anyone who's interested in tabletop rpgs um really needs to really needs to check out dread because it's it's a it's a role-playing game that is played with a group of friends. Um, it's great to introduce your friends to, like, the concept of role-playing. It's meant to emulate, like, a slasher horror film, and it's done using a Jenga tower. You know, and I so love slashers, so... And the way it works, I can explain the game in like two minutes. It's great. It's legit. Just you have a storyteller, your typical game master, dungeon master style role. And he's narrating the slasher storyline that's going on. And all of the players are playing their characters. And anytime a player wants to do something, they're like, OK, I want to do this. And the, the storyteller's like, OK, um, there's a chance of failure here. So you need to make a pull from the tower. And the way the game works is if they make their pull and they succeed and the tower doesn't fall, action's good. They're good to go. If they pull and the tower falls, their action fails and they die a terrible death. Uh, they can really also rad. choose. They can also choose to like be like, I'm not making a pull. Tower looks too rickety. Their action fails, but their character lives. Now, the thing that makes this game is the fourth option. And this is where you get like your absolute role players out of it. I, uh, I decide not to. I, I decide I'm not going to pull. Instead, I intentionally smash the tower. 
At that point, your action succeeds, but your character dies a terrible death. There, that's the whole role-playing game. It's the greatest experience you'll ever have with friends. I'm telling you right now. Sign me up. Danny, yep. when are we doing this at your place? Halloween. Hell yeah. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. I will fly out. Uh, I won't be here for Halloween. <laughs> Uh, yeah, well, we'll have to also get Quan in on it because Quan, I believe, has the whole rule book. Uh, shout Ooh. out to my shout out to my longtime friend Quan. But uh, Mindachi, yes, back to you. I do have questions for you, Thurston. All right, if if you are ready. All right, now that I've plugged a different game, you know, go ahead. Sure, that was yes. that was more my Absolutely. fault. Absolutely, <laughs> I, I am too new for this, so that that is on me. Sorry, <laughs> take it away, Mindachi. So, Thurston, when did you fall in love with sci-fi tabletop role-playing games? Oh, Lord. Um, so I've, like, you know, ever since I was a wee, wee child, uh, I've, like, been involved with nerdy stuff, you know, got into D&D at a young age due to a family member. But the first nerdy game I ever got involved with was this little-known game called Battletech. Um, and I was, like, like young and thirsty like i was at like junior high at that point if that even um and i met a friend through like air cadets at the time and he was playing <laughs> this was like the most like stereotypical like we play BattleTech saturdays in the basement of the game store the like non-ac basement of the game store um where i like went and i met some people and i started playing BattleTech, and like i was like really into it and eventually then we were all like why are we playing in the basement of a game store because there's another game store that opened that like lets you play in their their game space and they have air conditioning uh, and then then we went there and started playing this other game called warhammer and that just kind of got me really into like sci-fi and the concept of like you know fi fictional worlds outside of television and so i was i was really big into it from from that um like I got Dark Heresy, which was the the like 40k role playing game. I have like a Black Industries version of that book, which was like oh. the first company that published it before it got like bought out by Fantasy Flight like a week later. Um, like I, I was I was a big, big fan of, of the that. And that was kind of my like intro into just like science fantasy on top of uh, another game called uh, Rifts. If you've ever heard, it's done by uh. Palladium. Um, it's 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 sure a series of books. It also has and I'm going to like stab someone I knows in chat right now. It also <laughs> has the fine Robotech and Macross 2 role playing games, uh -huh. which are beautiful pieces of art. Um, they're, 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 they're books that exist. But yeah, like, I, I got into it at a young age. In fact, I, I recently had a little flood in my basement and was like, oh, I found all these oh. old books I have. And yay, don't worry, don't <laughs> worry. They were undamaged. But it was like a little memory lane. So I got into it from that, really. And that kind of spurred on a love that then took me into some like more traditional fantasy stuff too because D is popular and i got into that and then i got into pathfinder through that absolutely yeah and uh of all the games that you mentioned i'm, I'm gonna focus on riffs uh, a game that's known for the library or maybe even better put the archives than the international archives of, of rift books that there are um and and all of the rule sets that you can use you can choose to use you could simply you could choose to simply run the game how you'd like uh with the core skeleton but it seems uh, that a lot of sci-fi tabletop role-playing games do seem to be bogged down quite a bit by a 
mess, uh, a cacophony of rules, uh, just screaming at you in every other situation. And of course, um, as you get to playing tabletop, you kind of make the decision that, uh, if it makes sense in the moment, I will look up the rule. But for now, it should do this, because otherwise we're all just going to be staring at different paragraphs, trying to find the correct two sentences for this situation. Um, would you say that perhaps that might have a, a reason behind those that might be tentative in starting sci-fi TTRPGs, whether it's the space combat mixed in with the land combat mixed in with how do you run a ship uh, to how do you get to other galaxies, things like that. Um, certainly it, it takes a little bit more or there are a couple more gears in place than just throw your rucksack in the cart and make your ox go and go to the next town. Yeah. Uh, I think, I think there's a few things to, to hit on there. Um, when it comes to, to, to rules and just the, the overwhelming number of rules that can come, you're going to, you're going to always find like what game systems you want. There's a ton of game systems out there. Uh, as you mentioned, I like, I'm, I'm a big fan of, of like Pathfinder, Starfinder, and uh, started working for the company as a result, just because I like to have sort of a, a mechanical backend that like helps the, the, helps the players and like the, the game master storyteller, like feel like there's an evolution going on. Mm. One thing that I, I struggle with a lot is, um, more strictly narrative games. Uh, and there's mm. like, there's nothing wrong with, with strictly narrative games. They're, they're hilarious. They're super fun. But I, I'm like the type of person who, when I sit down to do a campaign, I'm like, I will plan this out for the next 80 sessions. And I like starting <laughs> in episode one, I have the end arc. And like, that's my type of approach. And so I, I like having mechanics that build towards that. And so for me, I look at mechanics like starship combat and I sort of segment out my stories and go, okay, um, this is where we're going to learn about this. This is when we're going to learn about, you know, the next set of rules. This is where we're going to introduce vehicles. Um, and I think as like a, a, the person who's bringing the game, because I think in a lot of game groups, how it tends to work is someone makes the plunge, decides to be the game master. And they're often the person who maybe knows the rules, knows the game and is bringing other people in. Or maybe there's some people uh, who've got like grok the game through other mediums. I think with like the prevalence of like virtual tabletops shows like critical role. You're just seeing a lot more people who are coming into games with a bit of background already and knowing how they work. Um, but my, my approach on how to handle that is identify what you want for your story beats and then kind of break it in like to, to sessions. What I did when I ran a dark heresy campaign a couple of years ago for second edition, um, I went into it thinking I'm going to run a 12 episode, like TV series style arc. And each episode for the first half or so, I kind of just introduced concepts. Like first one, we're going to learn how skill checks work and we're going to see how that system all plays out and do a bunch of different things. And then the second one, it's like combat. Cool. We're going to learn how that roughly works. And then the, the third one it was like all right now we're going to learn about things like overwatch which then led into let's learn how healing works because one of the players was about to die like you can kind of like stagger your your rules and i think a lot of people get overwhelmed by like the sheer volume of rules like this is this is the tiny core rule book right like yep. like this is the pocket version but it's still a lot of pages and there's a lot of stuff but realistically you're you're referencing this as a game master as a player only a few times once you've got those core mechanics in and so it's just kind of like getting some repetition in and focusing on the rules you know you're going to use a lot and i think that's true of any game system out there you just kind of want to 
focus like start small build out you don't have to start with like and i need to know how starships will get me across the galaxy and all these other <laughs> things like you kind of start small and build out Right, yeah, because as soon as you start telling people, like, so when it comes to making your ship, you can customize everything from your whole armor to your deck armor to the computers on board, and they all have modifiers, and they all cost different amounts, and they can all be made of different materials. <laughs> like, I, have, yeah. I have never once had my players build their own ship um, yeah. in as, as like, a, a mechanical exercise. What I've done mm -hmm. with them is I've basically presented, like, an in-game sort of, like, and here's this like kooky NPC who's your ship like master. It's like, do you want fast engines or do you want to be slow but be tanky? Do you want one big gun, many gun? You know, that kind of thing. And then that that sort of makes it into a role playing element because the players don't necessarily need to do that. Now, sometimes you might have a right. group where they absolutely want to go and just be, oh, my God, like. I want to design everything and that's great. And you can hand it off to them. But I think the more work you can do as a game master, just to make the players feel comfortable just with role-playing, then you'll get people who kind of slide into the rules side. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I definitely have the ladder for all of my players and my, uh, uh, in real life group, they want their hands on everything. They want to build everything. I have people that had, uh, they built a tavern on the outskirts of a town and someone went into a 3D program and modeled it foot for foot. Nice. And then another person did a uh, from the very basement up to the rooftop of basically just blueprints that you would have for like building a house. It's ridiculous and insane, but I love them for it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So what what could you tell uh, players that are either brand new to tabletop role playing games or uh, that play more, say, like mainstream games like Pathfinder, like D&D, &D, um, to, to maybe try to woo them in a, in a way to try out not just uh, Starfinder, but sci-fi TTRPGs as a whole, uh, especially if it's not like their bag. Because mm -hmm. um, to me, Starfinder, there's so much Pathfinder in there that it's just like, hey, man, let's throw some lasers on your character. Let's make it so you can have like palladium armor. And now like you don't just travel across the sea in like a creaky boat full of holes. You're literally going to new star systems. You're racing around Octurn. You know, you're like literally making deals with Kasatha people. It's insane. Um, so I think for me, I'm like your easiest mark because I'm like, oh, yeah, I can already see myself playing that. But for the folks that are just brand new or or eh, I don't really yeah. like sci fi too much. What would you what would you say to them? I think I think one is with like starfinder we specifically brand ourselves as science fantasy in in a way so we're mm. we, we we veer more towards that kind of fantasy side of things so there is that like i have a laser sword i you know cast magic I, like you you get that feeling the biggest thing i would say about games like starfinder and honestly sci-fi games in general is just the just the fact that you can um 
just the fact that you can tell different stories. And this is the biggest thing. I think a lot of people get into sort of D&D, um, Pathfinder, those games. And it's like, all right, we, we go. We kill the dragon. We save the, the princess. Princess is in another tower. Okay, we go do the next thing. Like, oh, now it's a lich. Ooh, it's a vampire. Spoopy. Uh, we go through the mega dungeon. Okay, cool. And, like, I, that's not to say those are the only stories. But, like, th right. there is, like, an assumed level of tropes. Now, one thing that is interesting, I would say, about, like, a, a science fiction, science fantasy setting is the ability to do just off the cuff stuff you can't do in in your traditional fantasy games that bring a whole different type of role playing experience one of the the scenarios we have was um for Starfinder Society was one called like Live Exploration Extreme, which was it's a bunch of Starfinders who were going into this like space dungeon thing, but they have an undead reality TV crew with them. And so, like, imagine, like, okay, we're going into, like, a dungeon, like, all right, kick open the door, kill the goblins inside. All right, now what we're going to do is, wait, 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 time out. Uh, you're coming into the booth. We need to talk to you. And I've run this thing at conventions, and it's absolutely a ball, because, like, then you sit down a player, and you're like, all right, what do you tell the camera? And the player's like, well, the fighter isn't pulling their weight. That's obvious. <laughs> like, they need to step up a bit more. Why is the wizard tanking? And, like, you just get these entirely different dynamics that, like, and setups that you, you don't necessarily get in in your traditional fantasy because like, things like the internet or info spheres or whatnot exist. Um, mm -hmm. Like, starship combat can be such a different thing. There's just these added layers that I think spice it up and are just, like, a different flavor. Like, some people, you know really like their barbecue food some people want some italian food some people want sushi like the different flavors of games is really going to depend on what you're looking for absolutely and you like myself uh we aren't picky we'll take literally all of that and we're not gonna say no to having all of it at the same time either and that's mm -hmm. kind of been uh that's going to be my segue into my next question for you. Something that has been sort of a point of contention in the TTRPG social space for years is the lack of diversity of games being played at tables. Sometimes people will even go as far as, say, showing an entire new game into the mechanics of what they're already familiar with just so that they don't have to learn something new. There's a certain type of frustration that draws from people that already enjoy a game that does literally all the things that they're looking to do. I'm one of those people. I'm, I'm exceptionally guilty of this. Uh, I've been primarily playing Pathfinder First Edition for 13 years after playing 3.5 for two years before that. I've run a few other games uh, like Coriolis, Morkborg, um, Shadowrun, <laughs> and, and like a couple other things like that. But the, the, the amount that I've done that is pretty sparse. And so there came a day where I got a wild hair up my ass and I had said, I want to play a sci-fi role-playing game, but I know my players love Pathfinder. So of course I did the logical thing. And instead of looking at Starfinder and picking it up and just being like, all right, guys, it's that, but it's space. Uh, no, I uh, made my entire uh, new game based on the skeleton of Pathfinder called um, <clears throat> Death by Proxy, uh, which takes place in uh, not a post-apocalyptic world, but actually uh, essentially like Neo New Earth. Um, in which like different 
countries have either melded together or uh, gone obliterated off the face of the planet and so on and so forth. And it, it brings in this whole deus ex vibe in which you have your completely unmodified humans, your modified humans with crappy modifiers, uh, people that are just full on cyborgs or just androids, and then your um, animalistic looking androids. So like non uh, bipedal. And um, I, you know, I went through, I did all of the work for how combat would work, how um, gearing up your character would work. Uh, let's see here. I redid all of the weapon classes, all the situational modifiers. I did everything from how land vehicles and air vehicles would work. And um, yeah, I didn't once touch a Starfinder book and instead uh, just did... Um, way more than what anyone ever should do just to enjoy a game. But, uh, you know, at, at the end of the day, uh, after many sleepless nights and probably some really terrible uh, GM tooling, uh, I made something that vaguely looked like a, a sci-fi tabletop game using all of the everything from Pathfinder. And, uh, you know... It worked, kinda. <laughs> we did. We did do a few sessions. They did do a, a story arc, and uh, it wasn't terrible. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, that's that's kind of like my my personal take on this is like if you've ever wanted something different, uh, as far as an experience goes, there's something out there. And I promise it's something that would definitely pique your interest, scratch your itch. And I'm definitely happy re to report that since then I've dabbled with some other systems. I was mentioning Coriolis, which is not a D20 system. It is a, a whole bunch of D6 and a lot of really cool stuff. And you learn so much more about games, about tabletop role playing when you do play these other systems. And, um, even hermits like me that don't even move on to the second edition of the game that they love so much uh, can find something <laughs> that they will enjoy. Um, as far as that goes, uh, I, I don't think that I will be, uh, say, uh, sending you any of my masterwork here that I have from my notebook uh, of when I was uh, 20. So... <laughs> Somehow, I also believe that you'll be just fine without it. I can't. I legally can't. Um, that's actually it's a fun, th not a fun thing. I should asterisk that. It's a weird thing about my job. I actually, um, I, I, I can't take unsolicited manuscripts. Um, that's for, you know, legal defense purposes. Um, but that being said, I mean, I'm just as guilty. Like, I've, I've done tons of game systems where I'm just like, oh, I like this, but I want to tweak it. I want to do like spoiler alert. The Starfinder games I run, I'm like, I think this this decision was dumb. I'm changing it. Like the, this class of this class ability works that way. Nah, nah, nah. That ain't gonna work for my game. Black, change it. Um, mm -hmm. And I think more people just need to adjust the, these games to suit what they need um, and what their players want and what their players are looking for. Um, I I come from like a long line of. Uh, looking at an edition change or a game change and going, not me, never. Uh, I was a person who was like, 
D&D 3rd Edition? That sounds scary. I'm sticking with my 2nd Edition book. That lasted about a month until I saw how pretty the new books were. Oh, um, yeah. But, like, I, you know what? I also understand some people are involved in very long campaigns. Uh, they are, you know, they've got gaming groups that they've been going with for years. One thing I always say, especially when, like, new editions of games come out, too, is, like, it's not like the company is going to kick down your door and come take your books. Like, I, I still have an entire wall of Pathfinder first edition books that I still reference regularly, even though the rules system is not the same rule system as what we have now uh similarly like i play pathfinder second edition because i really really enjoy it and there's some key things that i think you know i would love to incorporate more into a starfinder game that i run because they're iterative editions um but i also know there's other role-playing games that i love you know i shilled it right at the beginning uh and i you know like as green green Brand, you know i i love dread i think dread was like this perfect like encapsulated game for what it does and sometimes you just got to look at your party like your, your party your players your group and find out like what do they want what do they need um and like i hope you give starfinder a try and you're, you're, you know that's like the thing that uh, keeps me fed and i like that <laughs> but but also like you know people people play what they want to play and i i'm a firm believer in like game companies live and die based off of the quality and the passion of what they put out there absolutely yeah that's that's kind of the big thing too is um you know, if you if you don't or are not willing to try something new, you'll never find something new to love. And uh, it's it's been this thing like I've been to the I just have felt like this crotchety old man living in a cave. And I'm like, no, we only play first edition here. And like, you know, anytime someone, you know, asks like, uh, you know, uh, hey, did you see this new uh, Gods of the Inner Sea book that uh, Pathfinder 2nd Edition put out? I'm like, the art's really neat, but meh. <laughs> like, you know, I'll steal from it. I'll take all the boons and curses and things from it and, and throw it in 1st Edition. But Have you done three-action economy? Blah! Yes, that's just <laughs> it, though, is listening to Rot Grind is what has cemented uh me being like after this campaign's done guys i have the next thing like written up and it's going to be a homebrew world again but i really want to move to second edition i'd already been fudging the entire first edition action economy where i said if if something says it's a move action fuck that don't even pay attention to it it's all just standard actions and in standard actions, you can move or you can attack or you just use everything to full round attack uh, or full round action. Um, you still have your swift, your immediates, you know, and, and your attacks of opportunity and all that junk. But the thing is, is that there are so many different things. There are so many different things that Pathfinder has built on in the and correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe 12 years since it was originally published. Oh, it's, the, it's it's even a bit higher now, I think. Yeah, it's... Ah. <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to remember if it was... I can't remember if it was... I think oh, Paizo's eight. just like... I think Paizo's like 20 now, so yeah, it's... Yeah, yeah, and like there's there's still classes that came out in like 2016, 2017, like the Omdura and things like that, and I'm like, I can't keep learning all of these hybrid classes. <laughs> Holy shit, these are cool. And I've never thought about taking a cleric and a sorcerer and just mashing them together yeah. and, and saying, like, that's a new thing. Um, 
like multi-classing is a big thing in, in Pathfinder and in Pathfinder second edition, but so much of that has been, I don't want, I, I think that at first I looked at it as it had been watered down or whittled down. And uh, every time I would bring the idea up to my players, you know, just test the waters. They're like Pathfinder first edition has so many options. But the thing is, is that you will never touch 80% of them because there is so much like we can only touch so much on uh, a four hour session every week. And that's more than, you know, a lot of people get, but um, yeah, I mean like when it, when it comes to something big, like the action economy that already speeds things up. And uh, the gameplay in rock grind is really what got me uh, combat can still take, you know, uh, an hour, two hours, three hours, whatever it is, but it doesn't feel like it. It also just kind of moves quicker to the point where if someone misses, if someone messes up, something like that, they fail a save. Um, it comes back to them fairly quickly. There's uh, a lot more legibility in um, the things that you can do as a player and the things that are marked as just, hey, these are actions. This is one action. This is two mm -hmm. actions. Things like that. Instead of being like, hey, did you know that potion is a move action that provokes an attack of opportunity unless you have this swift drinker feat, unless you can't really get that unless you're an alchemist, but you could definitely dabble and you might even be able to get a rogue talent and get an inquisitor <laughs> talent after that and then maybe grab that. But yeah, it's like there's so many winding paths and these very crooked roadmaps that are just burned into my head from so many years of playing this. And I'm like, wouldn't it be so much better if things just were and things just was, you know, like that I think great? a lot of that just comes from um, being able to see games in a like in a public fashion. Um, mm -hmm. Like, for example, I, I don't think a game like Pathfinder Second Edition or even the current like edition of D and D would have nearly as much traction if it weren't for things like streamed games. And I'm, I'm a big proponent that like streamed games, like things like critical role, even what we're doing on narrative declaration are so important right now. Uh, if only because people get to see tabletop RPGs and we have a whole new generation that's coming in from like, you know, the, them TikTok kids and all that other stuff where they're coming, they're coming on in and they're wanting to like ingest short content, but they're also then finding something like critical role that has however many hundred episodes and they're, they're just consuming it and seeing gameplay through that helps people learn it's like um i've seen a lot with board games uh back back in my day if you wanted to play a board game with a friend you would go to their house like you and whatever friends you'd sit around the table you'd pull out the rules someone would read it one person might pay attention you'd start playing it it would be a show um mm -hmm. and then finally what would probably end up happening is like you'd kind of fudge your way through it and then be like oh we'll get better next time next time nowadays you have people who are like coming and having like board game parties they sit down and all right we're gonna load up the youtube video and we're gonna watch a video that explains how this game works and like that's part of the process and like the, we're seeing more of this digital age that's getting people involved in games and to me that's really exciting um it, like showing off things like how Pathfinder 2's action economy works. Really exciting. Um, for Starfinder, I know a lot of people are like, oh gosh, Starship Combat's so complicated. If I sit down with like a VTT table and show it off, it's one of like the smoothest things I can run. It's, mm -hmm. In fact, it's usually smoother than regular combat. So I think, I think it's just like getting the ability to show stuff. And one thing I've learned from just playing tabletops, and this is 
probably true for anyone listening, but experiencing how other GMs and how other tables play is a huge eye-opener. Um, I know the first time I went to a Gen Con, I saw some things from other GMs that I was like, whoa, that is incredibly cool how you handle that. And I incorporate it into my game, and then I do that with like watching streams and stuff too. I think it's it's kind of that iterative process where you're absorbing from everywhere. So, yeah. Yeah, I that's... do have to say, if I could cut in. Uh, Absolutely, yeah. Uh, one thing that I have to genuinely and wholeheartedly thank COVID for was I, I feel like COVID has really pushed that that narrative of, of of people wanting to get back together and actually play like tabletop games in person because that that whole spread of time where everyone was essentially self isolating and, and keeping apart and then it, it's kind of pushed this like this uh uh this paradigm shift back to hey we want to get back together let's play some board games or let's play some D D or, or uh yeah. pathfinder stuff like that and that, that's huge i think especially for the industry yeah I, I think it i think it's also um kind of kind of the reverse is true too and i don't mean like haha you're wrong i actually mean like we're seeing people come back and we're seeing people who are like Oh, heck yeah. Like I get to game my like I, I was saying before the show, like Fridays are my Warhammer game. I get to go back to my friendly local GameStop or GameStop games. Game, we'll get there later. A game <laughs> store and play Warhammer with with my buds. And like prior to prior to COVID, you know, we had like 15, 20 people sometimes coming out to our game stores, sitting around like most of them weren't even playing. They were just coming because of the social thing. We'd go out for wings and beer after we're kind of getting back to that. And for me, that's just like such a nice social event to that sense of normalcy and uh, everything else. But what we're also seeing, like from, you know, my professional end is we're seeing people who have made these like online game groups and I, I, I can say I worked in organized play prior to Starfinder, and that's sort of like Paizo's organized play program is very much about like game groups meeting in game stores, building up a, like little communities there um, and big communities, to, to be honest. Uh, but one of the things that was really kind of dicey prior to COVID was the online community and how it was treated, because like you know, we had to make sure that people who were going to conventions got like special treats and special boons and special little widgets to incentivize people going to conventions. But then you had our online community that was really like growing and big. And they're like, do we get anything? And it's like, well, no, because anyone can go to your event. And it was kind of this, <laughs> this weird policy that existed. And then COVID happened. And surprise, surprise, our online community became like, the most important thing for tabletop at that point. And in fact, like I think tabletop weathered COVID a lot better than many other industries. It certainly was not unscathed, but I think in many ways, like people, people were willing to buy role-playing games. They could game online. And I think we're seeing an extension of that now too, where people are, still gaming online like they've made these game groups that have lasted a year or two years and like i even know i'm like i kind of want to i have a game group that is coming like back to my house and we've started gaming here but i'm like i might just keep the vtt side going that was really useful like it's nice when someone else is doing the math for me but we still get that experience right mm -hmm. yeah absolutely i i think that uh that's just been phenomenal for for this hobby i've 
kind of always said like no matter what game you're playing if it's on a tabletop setting like it's the best game in the world man it brings everyone together it makes them interact with each other in a way that we don't usually get to and uh, whether you're doing that in person or whether you're online that sort of connectiveness that that sort of togetherness the fact that everyone is coming together to tell an entire story um, and they all get a part in that there's something really truly beautiful in it versus like you know video games you have a start you have an end some of them have options like say mass effect that i had mentioned at the top of the show but the thing is is that there's not a lot of things that actually change the outcome like spoiler alert Shepard always dies at the end. Sorry, doesn't matter what color you choose, red, green, or blue, the bad thing's going to happen. You're going to have to say goodbye to everybody, so on and so forth. But Escape from Tarkov game, will always end your friendships. Like, exactly. it's, it's known. It's known. Exactly, yeah. And meanwhile, like in any tabletop game, no matter what system you're playing, uh, what the GM thinks is going to be the end is usually not that because you end up being surprised by your players, whether it's because of the choices that they make, the outcome that they reach, or the fact that they all... Uh, got schedules that could never ma match again and you guys just never finished where you left off. Too real, too real. Yep, oops, oops. <laughs> ooh, ooh, too real. Why must ah, you yes. hurt me? Yeah, yeah. touch uh, the uh, uh, open nerve oh. on that one. Uh. But yeah, so with, with that all being said, Thurston, I have one final question for you and it's a bit right. long. Oh, oh gosh, okay. Yes. Go for so, it. So, take a note, uh, maybe get a pencil, maybe a okay. notepad. Okay. All yep, right. Yep. So, with this latest release of just massive amounts of player choices, adventures, and more with last week's Gen Con, what are three of your favorite new additions to this edition of Starfinder? Now, this is also typically where someone would ask, is now a good time for people to hop into Starfinder? Where the obvious answer is, yes, any time is a good time to try it out. And we've laid for you before this so many reasons as to why you should. A, a more beneficial question for our listeners, being that we are a gaming podcast for people in the hobby trying to do so without breaking the bank. And TTRPGs are known for sometimes being quite cost prohibitive. So I'd like to ask you, Thirsty, when, when someone is looking to gear up and shoot across a cosmos, what source books and or companion books would you recommend they get? Or is there a preferred method you would recommend for someone to try out Starfinder, something like playing online with Roll20 or some other sort of virtual tabletop? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to cheat with my first answer here. Yes. Because it's not a source book, but it's kind of a source book. This is mm -hmm. the pocket edition of the core rule book. It's tiny. It's a tiny book. You can bring it with you anywhere. It's the whole core rule book in small form. Um, I say that this is quite honestly like the best buy you can make, whether you're a GM or a player. I think that one of the things Paizo has done is we've gone from the like big tomes down to something that is like small handheld. You can bring it to the bathroom with you, whatever. Um, it's it. That is like the the quintessential, OK, easy access of the core rules. And I think, you know, if you ever want to play a game, getting in with the core rules is really good. I can I can probably go on about I, I, I can go on about like, oh, and you want to start with the beginner box and that there those work for some people. And if you've got like young kids, that might be the way I, I personally believe the best way to get into our game is to buy that pocket edition book. And then right now, like we talk about, ha ha, is this like the, the, the best time? Of course it is. Um, 
this time's exciting right now just because we're doing something new with Starfinder. Uh, we're doing an event uh, called the Drift Crisis, which is like this year-long meta event that is happening in our setting. So like imagine a tabletop RPG that like you can do anything with, but then the company has provided you with this meta event that you can slot in to, to make work for your game. And that book to me is really exciting because it gives game masters who might be getting in like this idea of oh hey i can like get involved with this event that's happening right now and feel like you're part of something bigger get involved in the community that way but also it, it kind of gives them like the creative uh ideas that they might not have when they're getting into a game or might not even like think about because a lot of the the books that come out for tabletop role-playing games are all about like oh and here's this place and here's this thing that's going on Drift Crisis is an event, and I think giving people an event that they can sort of latch onto parts of, like whether it be, oh, I'm doing the space Titanic, or oh, I'm, you know, was on a ship in, in hyperspace and I ended up crashing into hell, which is literally an adventure <laughs> path we're doing. Um, giving giving GMs those tools, th that's like the second thing tier. So you get your core rules, you get your, your event that you want to be part of. Um, and realistically, if you're looking to play and we're talking about like tools, it all depends on what your group is. Because if you have people who, as we were talking about before, like, well, yeah, Gundams and not flesh Gundams, but real Gundams. <laughs> um, like I would suggest a book like Tech Revolution. One of the things we talked about at Gen Con recently is that we we announced, we teased our next adventure path that's going to be a, uh, a mech AP. Like we're going to do a full adventure path. That's going to be mechs and like, you're going to, you're going to do mech stuff. Uh, so that's pretty cool. So if you've got like a group that wants to do mechs in space, heck yeah, that if you've got someone who wants to do more starship, like this is where I think going back to the prior point of like option paralysis for role-playing games, um, it, it, it shouldn't be viewed as option paralysis. It should be viewed as, okay, I'm at the buffet. What are the things I like most? Um, you know, and you get those things. And so we're, we're providing them. So there are a lot of neat, neat source books, but the other one that I would strongly rec like specifically recommend, I should say, I can go into like a long list of like, oh, and you need this to do this type of thing. But I would say the other thing you would want if you're getting into it, and I strongly recommend this, even with the most creative game masters or storytellers, buy an adventure that's pre-written Buy a by an adventure path that's pre-written uh paizo kind of specializes in adventure paths where we release like anywhere from um one or from like one to three to six volumes of of an adventure and and they're pre-written and the reason i say you know even if you're a super creative who wants to make your own stuff i say go with the adventure paths because it's always interesting to learn how other people structure stuff and running those sorts of things between that the the rule book and one of your event books you've kind of got all the building blocks that you need to play the game and like it yeah there is no wrong time to play a role-playing game um i mean maybe like right before an addition change is kind of one of those wibbly wobbly times but even even then uh you might get some of the, the coolest content so yeah awesome yeah i really appreciate all of that man and every answer uh yeah, just just the absolute uh, tabletop scholar, uh, Thurston. Wow, yeah. thank you very much for 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 one thing coming onto the show, answering an email from some deranged, uh, rabid dog man like myself, um, and you know just a, a lover and and sealer of all of your work. It's been phenomenal. Uh, but I think 
I think, unless anyone, anyone else has any questions for Thurston regarding Starfinder or tabletop role-playing games. I don't know. He no. covered uh, everything I needed to hear. Uh, You're going to play Dread now. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Sweet. <laughs> Yeah, that was Perfect. a bit like uh like drinking it from the water hose. I might actually have to go back and like re-listen to this to like to to get the bits that I missed. This this might be one where people <laughs> are like are like rewinding every so often. Wait, what did you hold on, hold on, hold on. Well, I wasn't <laughs> just rambling. Oh good. <laughs> yeah. Let me go back another fifteen seconds. Hold up. <laughs> write that down, write that down. Uh no, i I'm, I'm good. I'm good. Perfect. Uh, do we just want to go right into GameStop? Yeah, absolutely. Sure. Let's talk about old GameStop. Oh my gosh. Is GameStop <laughs> the new G2A? It certainly does seem that way right now. As uh, this last week, it was discovered that they are uh, that the fading retail giant sold an unlicensed game on their incredibly controversial NFT marketplace. Uh, this uh, comes on the heels of just another controversy uh, that is going to be added to the pile, including the 9-11 lookalike photo that started outrage just two weeks ago. So uh, two controversies in just as many weeks, uh, not looking great. Uh, the listing on the marketplace was called N Nifty, Nifty. Yeah, Nifty <laughs> Arcade with NFT all capitalized, the Nifty uh, Arcade Collection which instead of offering an overglorified image file, it offered you a, quote, interactive NFT. Um, yeah. And, uh, I'm sorry. Uh, the interactive <laughs> NFT, which, uh, it's, by the way, it's linked to the HTML5 games that can be played from your crypto wallet or GameStop marketplace. And as you can guess from my not-so-hyperbolic introduction to the story, there was an issue with the legitimacy of those files, specifically in the fact that the NFTs were minted and sold without the permissions of the game's creators and no compensation was given to them for any sale that was made. FNFTs. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Bar right there. Um... <laughs> The seller, Nathan, I, I'm going to go with Ello. Nathan Ello? E-L-L-O. Ello, Ello, A-A. No? Okay. <laughs> I can't um, kick him from the call either. I'm trying, I'm trying. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, the seller has been suspended from selling on GameStop's marketplace, uh, but according to Ars Technica, he is still holding on to tens of thousands of dollars that he made selling NFTs before he got caught. And as a final Big. kick in the uh, in Lady Justice's ass, the games are still accessible on GameStop's servers and file distribution systems, probably never to be removed. Um, according to Ello, he believed he was able to mint these NFTs through the Creative Commons and open source licensing uh, agreements, uh, that and that they would be approved for commercial use. But evidently, that was a mistake with at least two of the games. Uh, Worm Nom Nom and Super Disc Box, which were listed with non-commercial licenses. And he claims it was uh, this 
uh, incident was an honest mistake, which uh, you can choose to believe him or not. I'm personally not going to say either way. I don't understand. Um, I don't understand the licensing uh, behind these kinds of things at the moment because I haven't dug that deep into it. But uh, yeah, if the games were were listed uh, as not for commercial use but open source, then uh, yeah, he's definitely in the wrong. <laughs> Um, do you guys want to take a second to comment on that at all? Uh, uh, Thurston. I, I just saw, I just saw that at the same point, the meme stock of GameStop is back on the rise along with AMC. And I was just like, oh, that's, that's a horrible, horrible coincidence that this company is like <laughs> getting their stock price going up at the same time that this is happening. Oh, also, Good. you know, Bed Bath and Beyond entered the melee, so to speak, because now they're getting like weird stocks too, and I'm just like, I, <laughs> I always kind of, I always kind of wonder with with, with stu stupidity like that, because it's just like it's all fake money, anyways, yay! And then to see NFTs just like ripping people off and screwing over artists and creators just boils my blood. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I I like very much want to know like what was going through his uh his mind when he wanted to do this cuz he said basically he's like why in like his explanation for wanting to like add NF uh, add games as NFTs was that he wanted interactivity and like people to be able to play games and have access to games in their wallets. But yeah. Like I don't understand why use someone else's games unless you're just grifting, right? <laughs> like yeah. The grifter archetype is a powerful archetype. It grants it you is. a lot of statistical bonuses, <laughs> gets you a lot of money and hopefully gets you some damn prison time because that shit is yeah yeah but you know the thing the thing that you need for that archetype though thurston is uh, a pretty decent charisma score to to pass all the checks <laughs> that come with that mm -hmm. and gamestop uh is just so unceremoniously the opposite of that they are the bumps on the underside of a log the ones that you would rather never see or interact with but um it's really hard to do that when they keep rolling themselves over and then making sure that you trip over them you know like with with everything that they've been doing um ever since i was young and they're like we'll give you two cents for this game and i'm like mm, nah you know it's man fuck this company man for real like, i can't i can't i can't hold it in anymore man um yeah green do you have any thoughts or opinions you want to share here uh, i just it, i cannot fathom the idea of these companies going to uh, nfts other than that they're trying very 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 hard to stay relevant and that's yeah. really like the biggest thing yeah it's like gamestop is holding by a thread uh if that thread was like in a tube uh about 50 uh miles under the surface like they're they're trying so hard to like hold on you know like it it it, it sucks it just sucks this 
this whole NFT thing is crazy. Yeah. It's gotten a little out of hand and it's it's kind of tiring. I'm tired of seeing it. Mm-hmm. I thought it was over, but it just is. keeps coming back. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I mean, my my final thoughts really on this, and this is I'm going to kind of switch gears here from from blaming the NFT uh, creators a little bit, even though they do share a lot of the blame here. But I think really the main issue is how GameStop is curating this marketplace and prevent in like the lack of right. Like we we talked about it with the W2 report uh, uh, just like two weeks ago. It's like who is curating this marketplace to um you know make sure that everything is above board that it's not stolen art that it's not stolen uh content that the content is appropriate for their brand to be associated with uh right it just really feels like whether or not elo was being intentional with their piracy it was certainly a violation of american intellectual property laws and you would think that GameStop wouldn't want to be found liable for that. So where is the policing? Where is the verification on GameStop's part so this doesn't happen? Well, we're um, in the find out phase of unregulated. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Wild yeah. West. Like it's it's this is the thing that people keep going for is like, oh, unregulated's great until it's not. Yeah, yeah. But the invisible hand, though. Yeah, yeah. The people will make it work, and the people are terrible. <laughs> yeah, weird. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah, I think I think we need to, like, turn a little bit of our eyes towards, uh, towards uh, GameStop and these other marketplaces for ensuring, like, people are obeying intellectual property rights, especially because uh, one of the, like, biggest thorns in my crotch right now mm. is uh nft bros who are like you can't just right click and save that's theft but like there's a, a million and one nfts out there that are stolen property so right so it's like are our nfts property or is art property which art and content is certainly property it is intellectual property you can't have them both you can't you can't Would you have... right click and save a car <laughs> yes <laughs> but, but right like you can't you can't have like you can't have it like one way and not the other right if the if an nft if you buy the like if you buy an nft and then it's therefore yours you also can't buy a stolen piece of content as an nft and think that there's nothing wrong with that right you, you, you can't like <laughs> uh, oh, that's that's adorable <laughs> i mean people people will think whatever they yeah. mentally gymnastic justify mm -hmm. oh yeah but, yeah uh, and the the springboard's there and people will jump true i i have seen some gold medalists in the mental gymnastics lately <laughs> But uh, <laughs> I'm going to go uh, around the table one more time. Just like any other final thoughts on this GameStop selling stolen games <laughs> ordeal. Um, I, I also want to start a petition that set, that uh, starts calling GameStop G2A2. Mm. Um, <laughs> but, That's good. It's solid. 
Thurston, we're gonna go to just you. hurts my soul a bit just to remember <laughs> G2A2 even. <laughs> <laughs> but uh Thurston, any other final thoughts that you want to share here? Oh, on 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 that particular topic, nope. Uh, I think I think I've said my thoughts on NFTs and how they can <laughs> go in a dumpster fire and die. And like I, I have, we've we've even seen them starting to pop up in the TTRPG sphere, and I'm just yeah. like, no, nah, no, thank you. Please. Wait, how is it just like TTRPG like related like images? Oh yeah, uh, well I- images, but like the concept of like doing it with like organized play and with like characters like imagine your character is an nft and the idea that you could like that you could be playing in like a shared world and then you could sell your character which like through the blockchain and all of that it is it is it is mind-blowing now now to be fair i've been in ttrpgs like long enough that like organized play where it's basically like the honor system and you get like a stack of papers to prove you're like you've played these games and even in that situation we had people who would be photocopying like these paper sheets called boons that we would give out at conventions and stuff uh we had one fellow known as the boon baron who would literally <laughs> photo photocopy sheets from gen con and sell them on ebay for 50 bucks a pop so again there are just people out there who will do this stuff and they are the scummiest of the scum can i uh, it's can weird. i get an illustration of the boon baron the Boon Baron. <laughs> yeah, he's yeah, taking was, all his Pathfinder Society stickers and slapping them on, like you know, like he's just peeling one off, throwing it on one, folding it into an envelope and mailing it out, and taking another Pathfinder. And, and you Society and you sticker. laugh and you laugh, but in order to catch the guy, what we had to do was we like we were ninety percent sure of who it was. So what we did was we made a special copy of a boon that had a slight like spelling error or like indentation on a word that was on no other copy, and we handed it to this person. And when those showed up on eBay, that's when we had them. And it was like <laughs> the fact we had to even do that sound so dumb in retrospect you did fbi level like shit level find <laughs> the yeah. counterfeiter yeah the guy who's say. photocopying pieces of paper for make-believe characters my god uh, oh the humanity yeah <laughs> it's not easy out here for a pirate you know what i'm saying <laughs> yeah <laughs> Have you seen rent prices? Gotta photocopy more sheets of paper if I'm gonna eat. I was gonna say, Pug Life chose that guy. Yeah, truth. (laughs) Green, do you have any other thoughts on this GameStop situation? No, sir, not for me. Mandachi, how about you? Uh, Really just two things. Um, I just find it funny, you know, I just think that it's funny that every time some NFT person gets in trouble or something gets in trouble having to do with NFTs, it it's literally just, uh, you could put it in quotes and add like a, a TM circle trademark symbol on it, an honest mistake. Uh, not by the bravery, not that one hit wonder from like 2007, but a true honest mistake trademark. Yeah, it's, it's, it's ridiculous every time, every time. Uh, and, uh, then it gets swept up and we don't talk about it until the next one pops up, which, you know, right now they're pretty much a dime a dozen, all of these situations. Um, but my last, my last two cents, uh, I would like to ask Thurston, can you say super disc box five times very fast? 
Super disc box, 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 super disc box. There we go. Oh, I got one. I got one. All right. Perfect. And clipping that. Yeah. Ah, my proudest moment. Very good. Well, I think if that's if if that's all of our opinions, I think we can wrap up the show then. Perfect. Well, thank you guys for having me on. Yeah. The There's... Fabulous Proud Bearded Men podcast. <laughs> You're doing a name change. It's a brand change. Yeah, change everything. I got green, you know. I, I got your back. <laughs> we got a, unfortunately, green. Uh, if you can't uh, grow a beard, uh, we'll have to uh, let you go from the show. But okay. oh, secretly, right. I've turned against I'm, him. Oh, no. I'm just going to like photocopy like pictures of beards and then just like okay. cut them out and put them in there. I could yeah. mail you some of mine from my beard. Oh, this podcast got weird fast. Yeah, that got real weird. <laughs> Anyways, uh, Thurston, for the uh, folks who might have joined us halfway through uh, and missed your introduction, who are you? What do you do? Where can people find you? And like, what's the next big thing for you? Yeah. Uh, okay. So, hi, Thurston Hillman. Uh, I am the managing creative director for the Starfinder role playing game. You can find me on all the things at On Call GM, um, Twitter. Sometimes I stream when I find time. Uh, and then also, I GM for a little show called Narrative Declaration. Uh, we are a Twitch stream, YouTube recast. Um, TTRPG show playing Pathfinder Second Edition. Uh, you can find uh, that that at Narrative Declaration. Uh, as for me, um, in my my professionalism, uh, aside from aside from Narrative Declaration, you can find every second Saturday. So not this Saturday, but next Saturday. Um, otherwise, uh, I just announced the Adventure Path I'm working on, which I'm actually just wrapping up oddly, which is always fun when it's like we announced the thing. I'm literally just handing it off to editors and art. Um, the the Scoured Stars Adventure Path, which is a uh, Starfinder Adventure Path for first to fifteenth level. It's going to be releasing sometime in the uh, new year. Uh, it is a two hundred and fifty six page hardback adventure that takes you from first to fifteenth level, and is our first uh, effort at milestone leveling, which is super cool. So if you want to basically power level your party through uh, basically a level a night of gaming, uh, you can basically get from first to fifteenth level, run a whole TTRPG campaign in seventy hours. Um, that's coming out next year, and that's kind of my my cool baby that I'm uh, <laughs> looking forward to. And yeah. You'll you'll also hear more from me on my socials. So excellent, and uh, don't forget, guys, if you want to check out Thurston, we will have links in this uh, uh, episode description on YouTube and on the podcast platforms for easy access. So go check him out there. Check out all that stuff there. Green, what's coming up on your channel? Um, I am going to be a playing a plethora of games, including Star Citizen. Escape from Tarkov and Hunt Showdown. I've kind of put those three in like a weekly rotation. Um, I'm not going to be able to tell you what days are going to be which because I don't know that myself. I'm just going to play what I want to play. Uh, but you can catch that on twitch.tv forward slash Mr. Green Elite. And all my socials are TikTok, Twitter, Instagram, all the fancy things. So hopefully I will see you there. Mendachi, what's coming up on your channel? Hey, yo, uh, you know, uh, hopefully we'll be getting into that tech test for Dark Tide on Friday. So if you like Warhammer, if you like sci-fi RPGs already, 
hopefully I'll have something to show you on Friday. If not, uh, we'll probably be going into the sci-fi horror side of things with some more Aliens Fireteam Elite. Uh, we've got the Pathogen update coming up soon, and uh, it's just been a really big blast to play. Uh, otherwise, yeah, just lots of co-op games as per usual, um, and likely some uh, other survival horror things to take a peek at over at uh, my podcast for two people Twitch, which is PFTP underscore plays, uh, where you can watch both Brent and myself play through some survival horror games since we're just kicking off spooky season right the heck now. So he's going through the Resident Evil 1 remake where I'm going through Dead Space, and then uh, we are playing Resident Evil 5 together. Uh, on my channel, we always have a community slot open for anyone that's uh, interested. So go ahead, check that out over at twitch.tv backslash Mendachi, M-E-N-D-A-C-I-I. Otherwise, hit me up on Twitter. See what I'm playing. Ask me to play with uh, you to do something. I'll probably say yeah. That's at only Mendachi. Excellent. Uh, coming up on my channel, uh, no regular streams this week. I am getting ready to uh, go over to Seattle uh this saturday so no regular streams but friday friday and i'm a little i'm a little sad my boys here forgot to mention but we have i hit i just it popped up into my head and i'm like <laughs> aren't we doing something on friday we are we are doing our uh session zero for yes. our uh, own tabletop roleplay adventure this Friday at 7 p.m. It's got Mendachi. It's got Green Elite. It's got Indie Falco 64, Quasar.exe, and Zombie Potion. Uh, we're, we're, you know, I think we've teased some stuff out, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to leave it like the setting a little bit of a mystery for you guys. You have to come check it out on Friday evening, this Friday, like August 12th on my channel. And then uh, we have more announcements coming very soon. About what that. about a little, a little tantalizing teaser? Uh, uh, if you're a fan of anime, yes. If you're a fan of of uh, uh, digital things, Should video games and anime, yeah, yeah, video things, yes, video things, and and just and really excited. Jokes. <laughs> That's oh, really good. Oh. Yeah. I'm really excited also how you're going to use a Jenga tower for this game. We have one person who is only allowed to say these nuts one time in the entire campaign. Just a heads up. Just a heads it up. will pop out somewhere. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that is this Friday. That is this Friday. So be sure to hang out with us. Otherwise, uh, follow me on uh, Twitter at Danny K D A N I E C A E. Uh, enjoy my shit posts there. Otherwise, thanks for watching and listening to the show. That's going to wrap us up for the week. We appreciate you guys for watching and listening. If you miss any part of the show, you can find us on YouTube, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and everywhere podcasts are found. Don't forget our question of the week. This week is, what is your favorite sci-fi setting? You can answer that question on YouTube and Spotify, as well as tweet at us. Greenly hit him with that Twitter. At next nothing PZ. If you like what we do, and want to help support the show, you can drop a like on this video or subscribe. Always drop a comment. That always helps us out as well. It gives us a lot of uh, a lot of good vibes to feed into the uh, into the YouTube algorithm. Other than that, guys, stay safe, stay healthy, 
Keep fighting the good fights, and we will talk to you again next week. Goodbye. Yare, yare. I love you. Oh, I don't. Oh, 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 oh. 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 oh.